0: So we are, this is the second week of our sermon series that we're doing in the book of Colossians. Uh, last week, Pastor Kevin kind of laid the introduction for it. And just, let me give you just a, a thumbnail sketch if you weren't here to catch some of that um, last week. The book of Colossians is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul. And as far as we know, Paul never actually visited the city of Colossae. Um, Everything that we read in the scriptures from the book of Acts and the journeys of Paul, he never got there. The closest he probably ever got was the city of Ephesus, which was about 110 miles to the east of of Colossae. And so there in the city of Ephesus, we know from the book of Acts that Paul spent probably about three years in Ephesus, um, preaching and teaching and making disciples. And, And as a matter of fact, we see that in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, that tells us, that through Paul's ministry in Ephesus, all the residents of Asia, and that's Asia Minor, the the province of Asia, which is kind of the area of Turkey and and kind of around there now, not the entire continent of Asia. But it says that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And so for about three years, Paul was there. He would preach in the synagogues, and, and, and he would proclaim the good news of Christ, and then those who came and became followers of Christ, he discipled them, and he trained, and he equipped them. Um, And so what we do know about the church in Colossae, it wasn't planted by Paul, but there was a guy by the name of Epaphras who was in Colossae and was the church planter there. And Paul talks about that in verse 7 that Kevin highlighted um, last week. He says, just as you learned of it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ. On your behalf. So Epaphras was most likely the church planter. So, if we connect a few dots, most likely what happened is Epaphras was in the city of Ephesus. And in Ephesus, he heard the preaching of Paul and he became a follower of Jesus Christ. Probably spent some time there then under the teaching of Paul and was discipled. And then left from Ephesus and went back to his home in Colossae and became the planter, so to speak, of the church that was in Colossae and became became the leader of that church. And then at some point in the future, probably seven to ten years after he had planted that church, there were some problems that began to arise. There were false teachers that came in, and Epaphras began to be concerned about what was happening in the church at Colossae. And so by this time, Paul had been arrested and he was in prison in Rome, and Epaphras went from Colossae to Rome and was visiting Paul in prison in Rome And that is where um, Epaphras gave Paul the report about what was going on in the church at Colossae. And Paul writes this letter in in response to that. So I just, I give you that background for a couple reasons so you know what we're talking about. You know where it's coming from. And also I just, I find it very interesting. Here we are, Restoration Church. We just celebrated in May our six-year anniversary. So we're a six-year-old church plant And we're studying a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote almost 2,000 years ago to a church plant in Colossae that was roughly between 7 and 10 years old. So I think there's a lot of parallels and a lot of things as we study this book over the course of this coming summer that we're going to be able to um, learn from that. So this morning we're going to be looking at Colossians, as Gary read, um, the book of Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14. And as we start this morning, I want to start by asking you a question. If you have something, some kind of a a skill or a talent or something that you want to learn, something that you want to grow in in your life, some way that you want to develop in your life, how do you go about doing that? How do you go about learning something new and becoming, you know, skilled at that and becoming very good at it? Um, There's a lot of different ways you can do it. Um, For myself... About a month ago, just over a month ago, I started a new job. I became the new executive director at a a nonprofit here in town called Love in the Name of Christ of Yakima. And, I mean, I've done a lot of different things in my life. I was thinking about that as I was preparing for this sermon. You know, I've done everything from sweeping floors in my dad's electrical shop when I was in high school. That was the very first job I ever had was sweeping floors and, and cleaning dirty, nasty, awful wires and getting fiberglass. It was terrible. I hated it. Didn't do that for very long. Um, went from doing that to becoming like a playground supervisor at the preschool my grandma worked at. And then I washed dishes in a couple dish rooms at different spots. I became a night watchman at the, the college that I went to. And then I was a camp counselor for, for a number of years at some different camps up and down the West Coast. And um, what I do, after, oh, I was a security guard at a grocery store in um, Santa Ana, California. That was a fun experience. I got some very interesting stories about doing that and how people try to steal things from grocery stores. Um, did that, uh, and then I went into, finally got into the career that I'd started out training for. And I was a youth pastor for a number of years. And then I worked at a golf course. And then I was a senior pastor. Then I went back and worked at a golf course. And then I worked at Toys R Us. And, and then I spent four years driving for Schwann's Home Service. And, I mean, all of those different things, I've learned little bits and pieces. And I've learned some of the things that I needed to know for the job that I'm in right now, being an executive director. But none of those completely prepared me for this new position that I'm in. And I, every day I go to work and there's always something new to learn. And the more I learn, the more I realize how much more I have to learn. And so I've spent, I, I, you know, I've been kind of tracking my hours and what I've been doing um, in the first month I've been on the job. And I've probably spent at least 25% of my time in this first month trying to just learn about the job and what it means to be the executive director and all the different things that, that I have to do. And so that's been, been reading. There's a really good a variety that our national organization has of, of online training videos that I can watch and just meeting with the past executive directors of, of our local affiliate. And um, meeting with my staff and just all those different things, trying to learn bits and pieces of my job. And there's still so much I, I don't know. And I'm thankful that in the coming probably six months, there's at least three different training opportunities um, that I'm going to have where either through video conferencing or for actually going to um, some, some actual conferences in, in one in Minnesota and one in Nampa, Idaho where I'll be able to sit in the same room and sit down and interact with other people around the country that are doing the job I'm trying to learn to do. Other people who are successful and doing what I want to do and doing it very well, and I can sit down and I can learn directly from them. And sometimes, for some things that we have to learn, that's the best way that we do it, is you learn by finding someone who's mastered that skill or talent or whatever it is, and observing them talking to them and learning from them. And so this morning, I think that's what we're going to do. We have the opportunity to do just that because we're going to learn about prayer and how we can pray for other people from someone who I think mastered the ability to do that and was very good at that. And that's the apostle Paul. Because so often when we pray, you know, unless there's some kind of an urgent need or or an illness or or some kind of problem or struggle that the person we're praying for is dealing with, sometimes we have a hard time knowing what to pray for somebody else. I mean, I, I know I've had periods of my life where when I want to pray for somebody else, I pray for my family and my prayers are just, you know, God bless Malia and bless Alec and bless Zach and and, and, and bless Emma. And there's nothing wrong with playing, praying for God's blessing on people's lives, but that's kind of generic. It's not very specific. It's not really asking, what do I want to see God do in their lives? Not just how can God fix the problem that they're dealing with. How can you help them through this situation? But how do I want to see you work and and see you help those people to grow? And that was what Paul was so good at. And as we read and study, hopefully this morning, the prayer of Paul We're going to realize that there's so much more that we could be um, praying for. So, listen to Paul's prayer for the church in Colossae. Colossians chapter 9, or chapter 1, verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him principles, hopefully, that we can learn from Paul's prayer this morning that can help us grow in our ability to pray for other people. Because I I really believe that we should follow the example that we have from Paul here and pray regularly for one another. So the first thing I want us to note is that Paul's prayer for the Colossians was continual. Paul's prayer was continual. In verse 9, Paul says, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you." Paul practiced what he preached, one of Paul's other letters in the, in the letter to, to the Thessalonians. he says in First in, um, Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17, one of his instructions to the Thessalonians was to pray without ceasing. And that's what Paul says he's, he, he does here. He says, "Pray, I have, we, have, we have not ceased to pray for you." That means he prayed without pause, is literally what that means. There, there was, he didn't stop praying. And it doesn't mean that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Paul was praying for them. It just means that he was, they were continually on his mind. That it wasn't like he prayed for a few days. This is what I tend to do. Pray for somebody for a few days, and then I'll forget for a week or two weeks. And then say, oh yeah, I, I said, told that person I'd pray for him. And so then I remember to do it again. That, that's not the idea of praying without ceasing. But Paul would continually pray for those people. And for us, as we go through our day, the way that I've seen this develop in my life, is just, it's the idea of, and this is the way I heard somebody explain it once, that made so much sense to me, was that we, we pray and, and we're never through, as we go throughout our day, we're never more than, say, a heartbeat away from being in communion With God and talking to him. That throughout our day it's kind of like we're having an ongoing conversation with God. And talking with God about the different things that we encounter. And the different things that are happening uh, throughout our day. And maintaining that awareness that God is always with us. In every moment of every day. And as we encounter different obstacles, different circumstances. That we're there and we ask God for what we need. And he is there and he answers and he hears. And that's what Paul did. And he tells the Colossians, I have not stopped praying for you. For Paul was something that was regular, something that was continual. And I know that that's one thing I can definitely learn from the Apostle Paul. The second thing, principle-wise, I think we can learn from Paul, is Paul prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And one thing you're going to see as we go through the book of Colossians this summer as a church is that, is that idea of knowledge is one of the themes of this book because that is one of the things that the false teachers were, were proclaiming. They were saying that they had some kind of a, a deeper knowledge that if you followed what their teaching was and the rituals and the different things that they were going to be, they were trying to teach and, and use to lead the church at Colossae away from Christ. They're saying there's a deeper knowledge that's available. And Paul's teaching throughout the book of Colossians is that there's not a deeper knowledge. There's not some other knowledge that you need to learn. But you have all the knowledge that you need to know in Christ. Through Christ, you have access to all the knowledge, the full knowledge of God. And and we'll see it in a couple weeks when we get to Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, that Paul says, That it's in Christ that all things, that that, uh, when he's talking about Christ, he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So all the wisdom and all the knowledge that we need to be followers of Christ are in Christ. And through our relationship with him, we have access to that. There's not a deeper knowledge that we need to try to gain access to. And that's the the difference between what the false teachers were proclaiming and what... um, Epaphras had already taught the church here in Colossae. So Paul is not asking God that he would give them some kind of new, deeper knowledge, but that God would help them to properly use the knowledge that the the Christians there in Colossae already have through Christ. And so that through the knowledge, through what they already know about Christ and the Word of God, that they would then be able to discern god's will for their lives and that as they they do that that they might you know be able to discern that will through the the, the wisdom through the knowledge through the understanding that paul is praying for because because paul knows that in, as we go through life every day you know there are our our world is a, a complicated and can be a difficult place sometimes it's tough for us sometimes to make the right decisions and to know what to do. And so Paul's prayer is that they would have spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding so they would know how to apply the knowledge that they have about Jesus Christ and about who he is and what he's called us to do to make the right decisions and knowing what God's will is. And that, that's where each one of us is, not just the, the Christians there in Colossae. For each one of us every day, that's what we need. We need spiritual wisdom. We need spiritual understanding that we have through the knowledge about Christ and who he is and what we have learned about his will for us through his word. And it's learning how to take and apply those unchanging principles of the word of God and apply them in, in a world and in a culture that is continually changing and evolving and growing. And that, and the, the, the The situations that we encounter can be confusing, can seem overwhelming. Um, They're difficult decisions that we have every day. But we need to learn how to relate those unchanging principles of God's will to those changing situations that we encounter every day. And the reality is the false teachers in Colossae were trying to, to teach the Colossians that that kind of wisdom and knowledge was only available to a select few. They were saying, yeah, some of you, you know, you've come to Christ and you're you're at this level, but there's another level of spirituality that you can reach if you only had this deeper knowledge. And they were trying to draw people away from the church and saying, you can can learn this deeper knowledge in in, in that way. But what Paul is saying is this is not something that's only available to a select few. It is something that is available to all believers, to every follower of Christ. Because the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding that we can have through Christ and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives are all the elements that are necessary if we're to live, as Paul says in verse 10, if we're to live a life that it, where we are walking worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. See, that's the lifestyle that we are all called to live. A life where we walk worthy of the Lord. We live a life that is fully pleasing to him. But God wouldn't call us to live any kind of lifestyle that he didn't give us and equip us with all the tools that we need to live that way. And that's what we have through Christ. Through the knowledge of God's will that we have through Christ. And the spiritual wisdom and understanding that we have access to if we just ask. We have everything That we need, through the power of God, to live a life that is worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to Him. But it requires us to have that knowledge of His will. And spiritual wisdom and understanding to apply it in our daily lives. And then it's not just knowing the right thing to do. Because it's one thing to know the right thing to do. And a lot of us, in situations, we might know the right thing to do. But we don't always take that next step and follow through and do it. And that's the difference. It's the difference between knowing something in our heads and knowing it in our hearts where we actually do it and we live it out and we fulfill it. And that's the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about that we should have. We need to ask God for ourselves and be praying for others for this knowledge and wisdom and understanding that we would know the right thing to do, and then we would do it, and we would live it out. So then Paul concludes our prayer by by asking God to bring about four traits in the lives of the believers in Colossae, and asking God to bring these about in their lives as they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So Paul's saying, if you live this life that I am praying for you to live, where you are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, then these are the things that I am praying for you that God will do in your life. This is what I hope your life begins to look like. And the first of those traits is that Paul wants them to live a life where they are bearing fruit in every good work. He says that in verse 10. Paul asks that there would be visible evidence in their lives that they are walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. That they would bear fruit. And, and that fruit, I think, you know, manifests itself in a number of ways. In another one of Paul's letters, in the letter to the Galatians, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And that's some of the fruit that could be manifested in our life. Galatians five twenty two and 23, Paul says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. That's some of the fruit. If we're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, those are the traits that are going to be present in our lives. They're going to be growing, where we're going to be developing. So when you are wondering, am I bearing fruit in my life? A question we can ask ourselves is, am I growing in these areas? Can people see that I'm growing in love? That I'm growing in a demonstration of joy and peace? Am I growing in my patience with other people? Am I growing in showing kindness? Am I growing in in demonstrating goodness to others? In my faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? As those things, as we grow in those areas and those things are manifest, that's one way that we bear fruit. Another way we bear fruit is by making disciples. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2.2, that we're called to make disciples, the things that we have learned, we're to pass on to other faithful men who are in turn able to pass those on to others. That's the idea of discipleship. That's the essence of it. The things that you have learned to be at the point that you are at in your spiritual walk with Christ right now, you need to find someone else that you can pass those things on to. That's your calling as a follower of Christ to make disciples. And that's for every one of us. Sometimes we think about being a disciple maker and we think, you know, that's something for the, the pastors or the, the life group leaders or, you know, for somebody who's maybe a more mature believer and has been a follower of Christ for a really long time. They're the ones who are called to be disciple makers. I just need to learn. But that's not true. Every single one of us who has become a follower of Christ and trusted him and wants to follow him, Christ has called us to be disciple makers. And to teach what we know, what we have learned to other people. So every one of us, if you are a follower of Christ, you have learned some things that have brought you to that point of becoming a follower of Christ. So now your call as a disciple maker is to pass those things on to other people. And not just pass them on to other people with the idea that I just want you to learn this. But we disciple others so that they understand and they know My goal in teaching you this is that you teach somebody else. That's the model for making disciples that Jesus Christ gave to us, that Paul gives to us, and that we need to give to others. And that's another way that we bear fruit. Sharing our faith, yet another way that we bear fruit. And the fruit in sharing our faith isn't whether or not people accept what we say. Bearing fruit in being a witness isn't about making converse and getting people to pray a prayer or, or cross that line and become followers of Christ. Because you know what? You have zero control over whether somebody's going to make a decision for Christ or not. Your responsibility in sharing your faith is quite simply to be faithful and share your faith with someone else. The results, what that person does with that, whether there is a change in their heart, you can't control that. That is totally the work of God through the Holy Spirit in their life. You cannot bring somebody from spiritual death to spiritual life. You don't have that power. I don't have that power. Only God through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross has that power to bring somebody from spiritual death to spiritual life. But our responsibility, and one way we bear fruit, is by faithfully sharing the truth of the gospel. Sharing the love of Christ with the people that are around us. And as we do that, then we trust God that change will happen in people's life. So the first trait is that we need to be bearing fruit in every good work in our lives. And those are just three ways. We could go on and talk about other ways we can bear fruit, but that's just a few. Um, Paul also said another trait of a life that's going to be pleasing to the Lord that we would have is that we would be growing in the knowledge of God. And we already touched on this. I won't spend a lot of time here. But growing in the knowledge of God, and the word he uses for knowledge is not a word that's just for head knowledge. It's a word that would be used what we would call heart knowledge. It's a knowledge that changes us it's a knowledge that impacts how we live and the choices we make and what we do each and every day so he says we should be growing in the knowledge of god the third thing paul says that should be um a result of walking in a life um that's worthy of the lord is he he prays that he says that we would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so you might have great endurance and patience. A lot of times when we follow Christ, it's going to take endurance and patience to do what Christ has called us to do, to follow him down the path that he leads us down. Because a lot of times when we're following Christ, it's going to require us to wait on him and to trust him when we don't know what the outcome is. Um, is going to be you know, and, and so Paul asks that God will give them strength so that they might have the endurance and the patience they need as they follow christ I'll, just briefly i 'll give you an example um, from my own life I, I was a pastor I was in ministry for about twenty years, and about six years ago, um, the last church that I served in as a pastor, um, they had to lay me off because they just couldn 't afford to keep two full time staff. And so when, when I left that position, we made the decision we were going to stay here in Yakima. But I still really believed that God was calling me at some point to get back into full-time ministry. But I didn't know where that was going to be. And so I worked a lot of different jobs. For about a year, I worked three part-time jobs at, at Toys R Us. I was an administrative assistant um, here at Restoration Church. And then I also worked as the youth program coordinator at the Southeast Community Center. And after doing all three of those things for a year, I was exhausted. So I decided to would take another job, which I didn't realize when I took it was actually going to require more hours and more time. I became a driver for Schwann's Home Service. And it was, I hated it. It was, it was, I mean, it paid the bills and that was wonderful, but I did not love what I was doing. You know, a lot of my job is going around and, and talking to older people who are living on a fixed income. And my bosses wanted me to always sell them more food. I know these people don't have money to buy more food. Sometimes they barely have money to buy the things that they've already ordered. And you're supposed to upsell them. You're supposed to get them to, oh, no, put it on your credit card. and You can spend more that way. And I couldn't do a lot of those things. And my boss griped at me a lot for that. But it was a long four years, to be quite honest. And there were days, I mean, this quite literally, and I, I probably haven't shared this with too many people outside my family, you know, I mean, there were literally days as I was driving back and forth from here over to Ellensburg and upper Kittitas County where I just thought, you know, it would be so much easier and simpler if I just gave up and just drove my truck off the side of the road. And that was the end of it. And I wouldn't have to worry about doing this anymore. Because honestly, I some days didn't believe that there, I, I thought I was going to end up being a Schwann's driver for the rest of my life. And that, that was not what I wanted to do. I was like, God, if this is where you have me, I'll stay here. But this is not my passion. This is not fulfilling for me. I, you know, I don't see my family hardly at all. I just, I'm not enjoying this at all. And I am so thankful that I had a solid group of people that were consistently through all that praying for me. And I was at those low times that I could, you know, give a phone call or send out a facebook message or say listen you know i really need your help i need your prayer and they were praying for me that god in his power would give me endurance and patience as i waited for his timing and for him to reveal what his will was you know and and the bible does tell us romans 8 28 god causes all things to work together for good to those that love him and are called according to his service. You know, and there were days as I'm driving that truck for Schwan's, thinking, God, I don't know how this results in something good at the end. But I had to to come to the point of saying, you know, God, even if this is all there is, somehow, you know, maybe good for you in your ultimate plan is going to be different than what my definition of good would be, and I have to be okay with that. And I had to get to that point. But then, you know, fast forward to the end of that four years, um, being a Schwann's driver. And I'm sitting in my interview with with the folks at Love, Inc. And and honestly, I hadn't had hardly any experience doing sales before I worked for Schwann's for four years. And, you know, you're walking up to sell people frozen food. You know, and that, that was my job for four years. And you're trying to get new people to buy frozen food. And say, hey, this is the greatest thing since... I don't know. Uh, but anyway, um, I'm sitting in that interview with the folks at Love, Inc. And one of the questions that they asked me in, in my first interview with their board of directors was, so Dan, would you have any trouble sitting down with a, a pastor or a business leader here in town and asking them to, if they would be willing to support Love, Inc.? Would that be difficult for you to make those kind of cold calls and to do that? And, and, and I was able to look at him and say, you know what? I've spent the last four years of my life going door to door, selling frozen food I don't believe in. You know how easy it's going to be for me to go and talk to somebody about buying into something that I'm passionate about? Uh, that's, that's a no-brainer. That was so easy. But four years ago, I couldn't have said that. God worked through that, and because he was in His divine, supernatural power, gave me the patience and the endurance to work through that. He used it to prepare me for where He has me today. And I can say that now. In the middle of those four years, I didn't know if I'd ever get to this point. And not saying that everything's always going to be fine and, and, and wonderful from here on out. I obviously know that it's not. And life is never going to be that way. But we have to trust God and pray for patience and endurance, and that through his power, he will give us that, and we know and we can trust that he will. And then the last trait that that Paul says should be present in our lives, we're living that life where we're walking worthy of the Lord, is we should be people who are joyfully giving thanks to the Father. And that was one of the things that Paul did. Paul regularly gave thanks to them. I mean, he even began the letter before this prayer talking about how they were continually thanking God um, whenever he prayed. For the Colossians. And you see that theme throughout all of Paul's letters. You know, he tells us, that's one of his commands, again in Thessalonians. To give thanks always. That's one of the things that we are called to do. Give thanks to God for the life that we have. Because we're part of God's kingdom. Because we've been redeemed. Because we've been forgiven. So just really quickly, I'm just going to sum up. Four principles that I want us to learn today. From this prayer of Paul. And the first one is, we should be people who pray regularly for one another. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop. Don't forget. For me, the only way, the only way that works is if I write it down. So I now, I have a prayer journal that's on my desk, and every day when I go to work, it's sitting right there, and I can open it up, and I remember. I have things. I have to write down the people that I'm going to be praying for. So I've got the names of my board members there. Pastor Kevin, my family. I have all those names written down so they're people that I remember to pray for on a regular, consistent basis. So write it down. If you need to, get a prayer journal. Put it on notes in your your phone. Find some way that's going to work for you so you remember to pray consistently, to pray regularly for other people second thing we need to remember is we need to give thanks. We need to give praise. Remember the things that God has done. This is another benefit of having a prayer journal. Because when you have a prayer journal, you write down a specific request. You can put down a date beside it that says, you know, on such and such a date, I started praying for this specific request. And then you know what? When God answers that request, you can write down the date that God answered, and then you can go back in the future, and you can look back at your life, and you can see... Wow, God, it's amazing how you've answered prayer in my life and in the lives of other people that I've been praying for. So a prayer journal. Read through your Bible. Be reminded of some of the promises of God and some of the things God's done for you. Um, The third principle I want us to remember, don't just pray for God to fix things in somebody else's life. Pray for growth in their life. Think of prayer as like, preventative maintenance in somebody's life. All too often, our prayers are just, you know, pray for this problem, pray for that problem, pray for so-and-so who's sick. And those are all valid things to pray for. But prayer should be so much more than that. Because Paul was continually praying for the people in his ministry, for the churches that he cared about. He prayed for them always. And when there was a problem, you know what he did? He either went there and visited or he wrote them a letter to help them deal with it. So when there's a struggle, when there's a problem, maybe sometimes that means we need to step in to the problem and try and find some way we can take some direct action. But we should always be praying for the people that are around us, the people we care for. And then the final thing is pray for their spiritual development. You know, that's really the core of what Paul prays for when he's praying for these other people, for their spiritual growth, that they would grow, that they would develop, that they would become more mature and stronger in their faith. So as you study the letters of Paul, I would encourage you, spend some time looking at because it, it's not just the book of Colossians where Paul has a prayer that he prays for other people. This is a, a theme throughout Paul's letters. Uh, Two of my favorites are in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 22, and Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21. You know, I'd encourage you, look at those prayers maybe sometime this week. And if you're struggling as you try to develop this skill, I guess you want to call it, of praying for other people, this is what I do sometimes. Sometimes I'll just turn to one of those prayers and I will just pray that section of Scripture thinking of whoever it is that I'm praying for. and praying those specific things for that um, person. Because in most of his letters, Paul's going to record those kind of prayers. And we need to be people who do that same thing and follow the example of Paul and pray regularly for one, for one another.